This is the challenge, but this is the practice. And the first go-to is creating more space in between everything. Of course, there's plenty of opportunity to get swept up in all of that, whether it's happening on the outside of you or, yep, in thoughts, emotions on the inside of you. It's a busy world inside and out. So to create space for those higher ways of being and those higher intentions to flourish and thrive from without the space they just get squeezed out and we revert to our old habits and patterns and busyness and reactions so it's about making space and it can be done in the the simplest of ways welcome to the self-love podcast the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness proudly brought to you by 28 essentials Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, we have the beautiful Erin Lee on the show. This beautiful soul is the founder of the Mindful Yoga School and the author of a brand new book about to be released called The Little Book of Big Intentions. Erin Lee is the founder of the Mindful Yoga School, a yoga mindfulness and meditation training center based here on the Sunshine Coast. She leads yoga teacher trainings and meditation and mindfulness teacher training programs, as well as other programs, classes, and events. You'll also find her collaborating with many talented musicians on the coast at yoga sound immersion events and featuring at some of Australia's most prominent festivals, such as the Woodford Folk Festival, Prana Fest, and Yoga Fests. Erin, as I mentioned, is the author of the brand new book, The Little Book of Big Intentions. This is a divinely illustrated book that invites you to contemplate and embody 27 intentional qualities for purposeful living. Her inspiration for the book landed after many years of sharing intention embodiment in her mindful yoga classes. This amazing woman is also a mum to two teenage daughters, lives by the beach, and finds joy in life's simple pleasures. You are going to love today's podcast. Her deep teachings are so rich, so profound, and yet so simple. And I know you'll hear some of her pain points and how she herself has traveled through and gone through and grown through these really challenging times. She is a beautiful woman inside and out. And I highly recommend that you follow her on all the social platforms. She is one hell of a woman. Also, I want to say thank you so much to 28 Essentials for sponsoring this show. Thank you also to everybody, every one of you with your feedback, your comments. Remember, you can continue to place those on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training. You can also go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Love your comments, feedback, and I certainly appreciate the five-star ratings. You have no idea what a difference they make. If you're interested in the amazing Essential Self-Care Weekend, please go to 28.com under events. If you're interested in my weekly self-love and wellness mentorship program, then please also go to kimmorrison.com. And we're about to launch the Essential Self-Mastery Program. And there may just be one or two spots left if you want to join us at the end of August. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. I really look forward to hearing your comments and feedback on this one and all that the beautiful Erin Lee has to offer. Take care. Be kind. As you know, every week I get to interview an exquisite soul and this week is no different. I am absolutely delighted to welcome to the Self Love Podcast the gorgeous Erin Lee. Welcome, sweetheart. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, look, it's such a treat. I've been watching you for a while and I just got so excited with what you've launched and what you're doing and I just knew the world needed to hear about it. And I just love it. Before we start talking about all the magic that you're creating in the world, perhaps you could just go back and give us a synopsis as to who you are, where you're from and what's led you into doing the beautiful work that you do today. Oh, thanks, Kim. Well, I guess what's led me to being a yoga teacher and loving meditation and mindfulness and, and all things yogic um, 
really started in my 20s when I first attended a yoga class as a broke university student studying marine science. I was going to be a marine biologist and I was for a while, but uh, it was, you know, that, that first class just opened my eyes more than they had been prior to, to that moment. Um, it was like I had walked out of the yoga studio and the sky seemed a little brighter and I just felt clearer in my body and in my mind. And so I thought this is a pretty good thing to keep in my life. And yeah, look, here I am, uh, uh, what, 20 plus years later, 25 plus years later. And um, yeah, I just keep immersing deeper and deeper into everything yoga. Was this something that was in your bones, do you believe, or were you just naturally led there? I mean, to go from a real science, left brain, analytical, critical, open um, understanding of the science of the world to then turn into a more of a right brain, creative, be in flow, emotive kind of work that you do today. Was it always in you and you were led that way? Or do you think it was something that was brought to you in just the right moment? Yeah, likely the latter, I reckon. I mean, it's only been recently that I have reflected back and can kind of piece it together. And I reckon it started when I, you know, in my younger years, grew up in a suburban house in Melbourne, but it backed onto this beautiful creek. And we used to play down the creek all the time, me and my brothers and friends and uh, you know, I can't even remember my parents knowing exactly where we were as long as we were home by dark. Remember those days? And uh, I didn't really know it at the time or then going through my teenage years or even probably well into my 20s that um, I just observed nature um, due to the environment that I was growing up in. And so then when I ended up travelling around Australia and, and living in the wet Sundays and learnt to scuba dive and love, found my love for the ocean and went and studied it, uh, I was immersing deeper into nature and the study of nature. And, you know, in hindsight now I can see that transition from the studying the science of nature to then immersing deeper into yoga, which is really one and the same thing. We're just using the same laws of nature, applying it to ourselves first, um, investigating the ever-changing nature of ourselves and connecting into something deeper. So I, I reckon that's the common thread. It's quite beautiful when you when you summarise it like that. And, you know, the world is science. We are interested in how things work what's the foundation, what's the basis of all things living. And I think your love of nature is something that certainly comes through in your yoga, your personality. You are someone who I would say really goes with the ebb and flow, trusts her inner voice, and also someone who really inspires others to trust theirs. Is that something that's innate in you, do you think? Do you realise how much of an impact you have on people and how much you make us feel better just being in your presence? Uh, thanks, Kim. And I don't, it's not that I don't want to accept it in the way that you've phrased it, but I, well, what you've said in terms of just being in someone's present who is sort of a living, breathing demonstration of these qualities like presence and um, acceptance and, you know, kindness and these sorts of things, that's, you know, it's a state of being and I think instead of identifying it and attributing it to just one individual person, it, it's an energy that we're tapping into and so that, ability to you know be all that you intend and then let that lead the way without you having to preach what the way is or do this thou shalt um instead just being a pure embodiment of what it is that matters most will have the biggest impact and I guess that's what I'm trying what I'm working on what I'll always be a student of 
Because, you know, my kids might tell you a different story than how you've just framed that one. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I was going to say to you, I'm sure there's the highs and the lows and the opposing forces of this as well, which we know. But, you know, many people will be listening to this that may have dabbled in yoga, may, you know, hear people talking about meditation and the, the, the power of thought and intent and awareness and presence. And they're all, they're all really powerful, beautiful words. And when we really explore the depths of each of those, words, there's a hell of a lot of even more uh, expansion and awareness underneath them. But do you feel that in this day and age, and particularly the last few years where there's been so much noise, for want of a better word, so much confusion and fear, so much worry, so much unknown, how on earth do you or what would you tell us to do to stay in touch with the ability of presence, awareness, acceptance. How the hell do you do that when the world is so noisy? Mm, Yeah, this is the challenge, but this is the practice. And the first go-to is creating more space in between everything. Of course, there's plenty of opportunity to get swept up in all of that, whether it's happening on the outside of you or, yep, in thoughts, emotions on the inside of you. It's a busy world inside and out. So to create space for those higher ways of being and those higher intentions to flourish and thrive from, without the space they just get squeezed out and we revert to our old habits and patterns and busyness and reactions. So it's about making space and it can be done in the the simplest of ways. Um, You know, it can be done as you doing the dishes by just um, being aware of exactly where you are and and using that as your practice, um, noticing what your hand's doing and your in-breath and just these simple tools of the body and the breath that are always with us to support us to buy that space back again. I absolutely love the idea of creating space. And perhaps as busy mums, dads, corporates, individuals, people, entrepreneurs, all sorts of kinds of people, we're all trying to do our best. We're all trying to be the best that we can be. And some of those, some of those days are just anything but our best. How do you, I don't like the word forgive because it means perhaps you've made yourself wrong, but how do you accept and allow yourself to have your not so good days and can I ask you honestly, do you have bad days? Oh, to answer the second question straight up, you know, in terms of a, a, a bad day, um, absolutely I get caught up in my emotions of, you know, frustrating, frustration and, um, you know, my lower energy days and, um, yeah, days where I just am not thinking clearly. So absolutely. Um, yet there, I know, I know there's a part of me, like everybody has access to a, a, a consciousness that is able to observe that, that state and understand that it's always changing. So, you know, when you're having one of those days and it can just feel like that's it, it's, it's here and it's stuck and it's going to be forever and everything just seems like it's going wrong. And, you know, the more you think like that, the more examples you get, of course, Um, But if there's something that can remind you, if there's something that can help you to remember that that's what's happening now, but it's not going to be here forever. This is the great lesson of impermanence, understanding that everything's always changing. Um, So, you know, how do we remember? Um, Because sometimes it feels too heavy and we can't tap into that deeper in a knowing that remembers that it's going to change and everything's going to be okay. Uh, so you do, you got to work out in your own way. How, how will you remember that this too shall pass? It might even be by putting that quote up on your fridge or um, I've, I've had discussions with my two daughters over the years about these sorts of things. Um, sometimes they're in the mood for it. Sometimes they're not. They're teenage girls. Uh, but they remind me sometimes, you know, my um, youngest daughter sometimes says, mum, I'm not liking the energy that you're coming at me with right now. 
and it can be a little bit more triggering in that moment to hear that but you, it doesn't take me long to go you know what I'm going to look within yep you're right I'm just going to create some space and we'll come back and have this discussion <laughs> just to give you an example <laughs> a real life example there's nothing like kids to keep you on the straight and narrow and the the honesty which I absolutely love about teenagers actually because they do tend to be a naturally self-absorbed and I say that with love and respect. We've all been there and I think it's that real moving away from childhood into adulthood. It's kind of like a very strange space for many teenagers and I think something that is so important is for us to not be triggered by the harshness or the brutality of some of the things that they can come at us with. But how do you keep the line of respect, you know, like respecting your mum and your, the, your your elders for want of a better word, but how do you keep the line of respect but also openness to hearing that feedback without it being disrespectful? Is there a, is there a remedy or a recipe for you from that perspective? Uh, look, I'll, I'll give you what I think I know, but if you hear of any other hot tips, do let me know what I've most recently been reminded of is um, the ability to get curious in that moment yourself. And just as we were talking about earlier, lead by demonstration. So, uh, you know, in that moment, if if I retaliate back with, with um, my words or thou shalt not kind of uh, attitude, it's just going to create a war all of a sudden, you know, we're just going to have, have a disagreement I've come to learn. So uh, to switch my energy in that moment is the most powerful thing I can do to, yeah, show my daughters how to be in life, to lead by demonstration. And I've learned it's less words, less words. I was told that many years ago by my my sister she said Kim the greatest gift you can give your kids is silence and laughter and I thought yeah we we need to be their buoyancy we need to be their uppercut we need to be the 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 opposite sometimes of what they're feeling even if we ourselves don't feel it and such a beautiful thing to really learn to get curious and to ask more questions perhaps and to really understand where they're coming from before we give our opinion and I I appreciate that so much there was something you said at the beginning, and I'd love us to go back to it if it's okay. You became qualified in scuba diving. Now, you, that means going under the ocean into a whole world where perhaps humans don't really belong, yet there's this incredible world. kind of freaks the hell out of me, I'll be honest. It kind of, the, I don't mind snorkeling, but the idea of scuba diving and then seeing something that I can't get away from just freaks me out. But then I hear people like you talk about the wonders of nature and understanding this this beautiful environment, which we never really get to see. Is there anything magical or something that you've learned about scuba diving that uh, I know you mentioned it has an alignment to yoga, but I'm just curious how you handle the silence and yet the beauty and the, like, share with me what it's like to be a scuba diver. Yeah, sure. Well, the beautiful thing is, is, um as as beautiful as silence is when you're diving all you can hear yourself doing is breathing just breathing in and out and if your breath is short and shallow uh you you hear it so loudly inside your own head and you're wasting a lot of air and um you know you're going to probably create anxiety by doing that so it's important to slow the breathing down and because you can hear it so loud inside your own head, it's quite a meditative experience. Um, so, yeah, there's so much underneath that layer of water that we look at from land that is hustling and bustling and it piques your curiosity. Like, oh, my, I never imagined that the underwater world looked like this. I remember feeling like that when I first snorkeled. I was like, what? There's this underwater garden with a plethora of um, plants and animals and coral and all these sorts of things going on at a micro and macro level. So to, to spark that, 
that curiosity. It can feel like a little bit of fear first, like, oh, I don't know what's here and what's coming at me. But I guess with practice, like anything, um, to settle into just being really fascinated and curious uh, about what's what's under the water was the, the biggest joy for me about it. And, of course, relating it again to yoga, um, to be curious is just such a key attitude to having an open mind, creating space in your life, in your thoughts, and creating an expansive experience and continuing to see the beauty in things. Oh, that's so beautiful. And you're dead right about the breath. I can hear myself when I even snorkeling, I hear it. I haven't done scuba diving, but you can hear yourself and I can feel myself getting anxious. And then when I calm myself with my breath, which is the key to life really, isn't it? The breath is such a powerful component for health and wellness. Could you explain to us then a little bit more about breath, breath work, why it's become such an integral part or need of the human psyche even at the moment? We hear about it all the time and yet people go, uh, you know, I breathe, I'm breathing all right. But actually very few of us really know how to breathe, don't we? Mm, it's true. We're all mechanically breathing, of course, out of a survival need. Wonderful. Yet when we can place conscious attention, our, when we can place our awareness on the breath, then it takes its benefits to a whole nother level. So the breath is the gateway for for life, of course. You know, if we're in our body, if we're not breathing, we're, we're not alive anymore. If we're uh, just mechanically breathing, okay, we're alive. But if we're consciously breathing or undertaking breath work or pranayama is the Sanskrit, uh, then we're enhancing our vitality actually and uh, it's it's called prana energy the breath is the gateway so to control the way that your breath is coming into your body and controlling the way that you retain the breath and then controlling the way that you allow the breath to leave your body using various techniques it can have a, a different effect so we can apply different styles of breath work to either raise our energy, enhance our energy, um, uh, experience vividness and clarity of mind. Um, but we can also use breath work to calm us down and reduce anxiety and slow us down as well. So first thing in the morning, for example, a breath work practice that enhances um, your sense of aliveness and clarity is great. And you know, as little moments occur during the day that tip you off balance, that just returning that energy back to equilibrium, back to balance, we can use that slowing down breath. And uh, what, a, what a great tool. It's always with us. It's freely available. You don't need even a yoga mat. You can be anywhere. You don't even need music. Um, you can just breathe. It's a beautiful, amazing thing to understand the power of breath. And I read a book by James Nestor called Breath, yes. and he talked about just how even nasal breathing compared to mouth breathing, um, slow breathing compared to fast breathing, and all of the different realms, which many of us, as you say, don't even think about consciously because we're just mechanically and unconsciously breathing. But there's something that's quite interesting in a world full of stress and in a world full of anxiety and more depression and more fear and worry than maybe we've ever had before. If only we could learn the art of coming back to the breath, coming back to that life force. And I keep finding myself drawn back to picturing you scuba diving. I've never thought of the power of the breath and and, and being in the water to being so akin to our life on the land. There's, there's just something that I'm feeling from what you're saying, and I'd love to know, when did you make the decision to move from being a marine biologist into being a yoga teacher? And was breath ever a part of both of those worlds to you? It really has only been in hindsight that I've learned so much, hence the power of being able to, you know, pause and reflect back and piece things together to, to knowing how you want to move forward in the future. 
Um, I, I ended up working after my studies, I ended up working in a few aquariums in Australia and, um, fell more into the educational component of, of marine science and teaching school kids and jumping in and feeding all the animals at the aquariums. Um, but that yoga practice that I'd first experienced in my early twenties, that was always there in, in the background, you know, that was my, 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 thread through through all of the career changes and the travels um yoga was always there and the transition to teaching it did take a few years but I had an experience in my life um when my husband the father of my two daughters uh, died very suddenly and unexpectedly and it was some months after that that I returned to my practice of yoga and just appreciated it at a whole new level for its 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 healing benefits. And so, you know, continuing on about the breath there, um, coming through that experience of constrictive emotion of grief and just being able to find space in my body again and space in my breath, the the benefits were so profound. And I I, I know that that was the beginning of, of me really transitioning into what I'm doing now. It took a few years after then to do my yoga teacher training and get qualified and, you know, here nearly 10 years on now running my own yoga teaching school. I can see how it becomes such an anchor, a saviour, a new focus that also allows you to be yourself and accept what is and breathe and work or pose through those moments. I mean, how on earth does somebody ever survive a shocking grief or loss? There is so much pain out there. And the word you I heard you say was constrictive breathing. And I find myself doing that when I get scared or worried or have shocking news. And obviously that must be some sort of survival mechanism in that moment. But how on earth did you come through that apart from using yoga? What did you do day by day, moment by moment? How did you guide your girls? How did you give them the answers they would have been? Maybe they were too young, but I'd love to hear if you are okay to share a little bit about more about how you processed and progressed through that. So the girls were um, nearly four months old and nearly four years old at the time. So they were quite young. And my nearly four-year-old, Lucia, she's so grateful that she got to spend so much time with, with Nico, her her papa, um, because I had returned to work and he was a stay-at-home dad and a musician and she would just go around with him everywhere to all the gigs and the band rehearsals and they would go on bike rides and he was from Argentina so they spoke Spanish. So she was very connected with him. And so one of the main things that really helped me to uh, not fall into a complete heap and and constrictive tight ball of grief was that I had these two little girls in my life and one, loose, uh, the eldest one, nearly four years old, she had a lot of questions obviously about what had happened and I really had a focus to make sure that I would do my best here to support her to understand everything that had happened and to support her to express and communicate everything because uh the my worst nightmare at that time was her bottling things up and and not dealing dealing with it in uh the right way whatever that that was going to be and for my nelly four month old my biggest focus there was to continue to breastfeed her and so i had these really you know beautiful girls to focus on and it it got me I was experiencing the um stress response of course to that shock and that loss and the the devastation but there was something greater there was these two girls in my life who were kind of getting me out of my own way a little bit and giving me something to focus on so I'm, I'm so grateful for that I guess you yourself 
uh, with the work, the breath work, the yoga, the ability to stay present for those girls. Sometimes we may underappreciate just how much that focus allows us to gently heal and work our way through our own thoughts and emotions. It's still just you at night, though, when you crawl into bed and you're alone and it's dark, it's one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, and that beautiful person's not there anymore. How do you get through the dark times? There'll be people listening to this that are experiencing this right now or know someone who is. What was the best thing through that time that helped you the most? It was just really uh, surrendering and allowing and allowing the tears to fall, um, just allowing whatever was unfolding to be there. And that certainly wasn't easy. That was probably the most, the most challenging thing, particularly because there was a lot of fear that was generated for me due to the unexpected nature of his death and in you know, the days and months, weeks and months after his death, there was no cause of death ever determined. So it happened unexpectedly and then there was no reason for it. And still today, um, all these years later, that was back in 2009, uh, no cause of death ever medically determined. So the fear arose from a place of not knowing what might happen next. If this was possible, which was the unthinkable you know, the chances of something else to the same degree or worse happening, you know, something happening to one of my daughters, all of these fearful thoughts did consume me. So it did result in some anxiety and uh, that just, it had to ride its course. I spoke about it. So I was very held by um, my loving family and community of friends. That was another factor alongside my the focus with my girls, just having people to talk to about it. That is probably one of the most important things is understanding grief or the journey of grief does not have to be just alone, just you, even though I appreciate it's just you in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. But that would possibly be one of the greatest things that I've heard people that have gone through things like this and I myself was to really find my tribe, be a part of something that allowed me to talk about it or allows you to speak of that. And a couple of friends who have lost their partners or husbands very unexpectedly or wives, one of the things they've loved the most is being able to keep that memory alive. And, you know, some people aren't sure whether to talk about the person. Some people aren't sure whether to ask how you are. It seems in this white um, Western culture we don't seem to embrace death the way we do birth. Is that something you've noticed with being a yogi and understanding that some cultures actually see death as a passageway for that person to somewhere better? I'm not trying to get too esoteric here, but I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on this. Mm, I spend a lot of time up at Chen Rosig Buddhist Institute in the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast and, um, of course, uh, every day we're studying death. You know, it's the the understanding of death is one of the key um, teachings of the Dharma and of, of Buddhism uh, because it is how it is. It's unavoidable and it's a nature of impermanence. It's a part, it's, it is, it, it is how nature works and so to be fearful of death, I agree. For in my experience in, you know, Western society, we we do tend to avoid it or not really grasp the trueness of that reality. And you see it all the time. You know, what people get caught up in feeling is is very important um, when it's it's probably small stuff that may not matter at the time of death. So to always have the remembrance of death nearby, um, which I have experienced and has been one of the greatest gifts that that Nico has left me, is that reminder in that way. Um, and, of course, for, you know, you listening, um, my wish for you is that it doesn't come in that way for you, but perhaps it's about studying death a little more or inquiring about 
Um, what would really matter most to me in those final moments of my life, looking back, what mattered most? Uh, just having reminders around to keep perspective now of, of what matters most and, and what's important. I really appreciate you being so open about that. I, I just do believe we don't do death so well and I'm not saying I've ever found it easy, but like you said, there's this impermanence. There's this, no matter how hard you fight it, no matter how angry, no matter how hurt, no matter how sad, no matter what, it never goes away. Death is quite permanent, but then there's the reality of new birth, new beginnings, new perspectives, new understandings and I really love your perspective on that. And does your yoga work, does yoga teach you to have new perspectives, new understandings, new acceptance of things like death or concern or worry or fear? How could someone who may be interested in yoga listening to this think, I, I need this? How can it help us through those processes in life? Yeah, all the time. So with, you know, the concept of death, uh, in in any given moment where we're always also uh, appreciating a new beginning. So, of course, the death of something, creating space for something new to grow or as soon as something's born, you know, there's this, this growth, this evolution and this middle part of sustaining that which has been created. But to understand the cycle again that that too will dissolve and then so there's this cycle that we're living in in the yogic teachings uh dating back thousands of years ago in the ancient scriptures uh, teach us this that this cycle is in everything so it may not even just be our human lifetime it's uh the death of a moment you know those times when we just have to let go of what we're trying to cling on to so tightly but it's not an alignment anymore. And so to hold on is to suffer um, and to release that um, back into the ether, back into the broader universe is um, a wise course of action is what the yogic teachings tell us. So, you know, in our physical practice of yoga, um, how this can happen is, you know, when you're, you're in that challenging pose and you're challenged and you're struggling and you feel like it's going to last forever, um, to remember that this too shall pass, that this will end because that's the nature of life can be so, so helpful and so beneficial, right? It can, it can actually help you to be here for the last few breaths of that pose instead of avoiding the moment or forcing through the moment and causing harm. You can be more present for it and then it's gone as is the nature of life. So, you know, it can apply to those small moments in life um, as well as looking at our whole of, of a lifetime. And that's really, you know, that practice on the yoga mat, translating out to how we move through everyday life. There's so much benefit. Talk to us a little bit about the mindful, the mindful Yoga School and how long it's been around and what is it that is your intention? What's your point of difference to any other yoga school or meditation teachings Talk to us about what Erin Lee teaches. I founded the Mindful Yoga School in 2020 and it was born in a time in my life where um, I didn't know what the next move was going to be from me. I was I was going through a transitional period. I, I felt very deeply that the right thing to do was to just surrender back into not knowing for a period of time and just being curious again. And this period of, of a few months of really resting back in my feminine energy and allowing life to unfold. And uh, of course, there was things to do, parenting, and um, I was st still working. But I knew something bigger was brewing. And I, I didn't want to force that creation. I just allowed it to to slowly unfold and, and I got really clear what is it that I'm really passionate and love to do and it came down to the simplicity of I just love teaching yoga and mindfulness and meditation. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. Okay, so knowing that I've been doing this for some years now and I've, I've got a beautiful community um, who seem to enjoy the way that I deliver, the yoga, uh, 
I decided to birth the Mindful Yoga School. And the my highest intention for everyone that pulses in and out of the Mindful Yoga School, whether it's for yoga teacher trainings or a yoga sound event or a weekly class, is that they cultivate presence, they cultivate compassion and courage this practice requires courage and these ways of thinking require um, a transformational experience to, to bear in mind new ways of thinking and from this intentional place of presence and compassion and courage that whoever pulses in and out of the mindful yoga school they become a demonstration of those big intentions to create a greater impact on the globe well you do it profoundly beautifully and you have an energy that just radiates like no other and i'd love you then to talk to us a little bit about the little book of big intentions your latest birthing perhaps you could let us know and just before you go there do you do online for people who are not on the sunshine coast is that that possibility or can people get through to you with your yoga teachings mindfulness and meditation also yeah, at uh, the mindfulyogaschool.com, there's some free offerings on there, yoga classes that I've, I've recorded and, and put up there for people. And there's also other offerings like uh, I've just finished um, creating Seven Days of San Kelpa, Seven Days of Intention Setting is, is a program that's on offer there. And I'm about to kick off the Mindful Yoga 30-Day Immersion that can be done in full online um, from anywhere that you are in the world. So all uh, resources and supporting videos and meditation audios and we get together live as well over the course of those 30 days just to really deepen into the practice and experience the benefits of the consistent practice. Uh, so the, the little book of big intentions has been such a joyful creation for the last 18 months and at the the um, first print runs about to land on our shores. I've, I've received an advanced copy and I, the energy that went into this creation, um, I, I only intended to work on it when I felt inspired to and there's little inspirational writings and quotes, but I've worked in collaboration with a gorgeous artist who is a Sunshine Coast-based artist, but she got stuck in Austria during COVID and uh, so we've never actually met, but um, she has brought through all of the divine illustrations. There's 27 big intentions like the ones we've been talking about, presence, truth, and balance, compassion. And uh, there's a yoga pose to support the embodiment of each of those intentions. So Katura Tracer, the artist, um, has brought through really beautiful illustrations of those yoga poses and uh, the step-by-step -step instructions on how to bring that posture into your body to cultivate those bigger intentions. And I guess that's the, you asked earlier about the, the point of difference with the mindful yoga school and the way I like to approach yoga is to um, go beyond just the physical practice and and even beyond the practice of mindfulness that just asks us to have that um, unbiased awareness in any given moment and to really birth those intentional qualities to cultivate kindness and peace to that that's it's a skill that can be learned and harnessed and that is my intention with the little book of big intentions is that it offers you uh, listening an opportunity to be all that you intend to be in life oh i can't wait and just if someone's listening or driving in their car right now is that also available on the same website it is, Kim. Yeah, yeah, good. I'll make sure that's in the notes and we'll have a link directly to that. What date is that launch so that we can have that in our hot little hands? Yeah, it's open for pre-orders now and I've got lots of big bonuses for you if you pre-order. It's so supportive being the first print run um, and they arrive in October. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. 
So there's something else I've been, and first of all, I want to say congratulations, by the way. I know what it takes to do a book and I love, I just love it. And I love the name of it, the little book of big intentions. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. Um, so big congrats from me, my love. I, I want to ask you then something that's been, you know, I've, I've really got to experience a lot more lately and I've got to really embody and feel it. And that's sound healing and using the power of music and understanding different sounds and I've really fallen in love with the didgeridoo and different obviously Tibetan bowls and I I don't know there's just something I don't understand a lot about it of course I just know I love the feeling of it and particularly when combined with breath work or presence or sitting still could you let us know a little bit more about that or your understanding of how sound healing is also even though it's ancient it seems so new from a western point of view doesn't it? Yeah, I'm with you too. I'm a, I'm a huge fan and my, my love of music grows when it's delivered in this way. Uh, and I collaborate with some incredible musicians on the Sunshine Coast here holding lots of yoga sound events in honour of this. You know, I just love being at them. That's why I put them on. So uh, mu- music is is vibration. Vibration is energy um, and with our bodies being made up of more than 70% water, um, the impact of vibration on the cells, whether they're fluid or solid, um, can literally change our state of energy. And so this is likely the experience you get, you know, when you play a song and it shifts your mood, you've shifted your energy um, with sacred sound. Uh, connecting you not only into that, you know, transformational energetic experience, but with sacred sound, tapping you into, you know, lifetimes and what is in your DNA that has been carried across lifetimes dating a long time back and connecting you into that universal experience again that contains all of those microcycles of birth and death. And so it's quite a big experience that we're having, having when um, we're, you know, doing those breathwork sessions and listening to music. So placed purposefully, music uh, is just another way, I see, of practising yoga. It's another way to shift your energy, you know, instead of having to do the physical yoga poses. It's like meditation is another way into practising yoga. Uh, to create an experience of connection and union again. I love it so much. You know, we we keep weaving in and out of the marine, the breath, the beauty of yoga and presence and a mindfulness and all of these things. I'd like to tap into a little bit of something here and see if it relates from a human perspective as well. But, you know, the ocean, I've watched things like sea spiracy and I've I see the harm that we do and the the environmental damage and the plastics and the the torture of these animals and it's and the the reefs dying and there's it actually really upsets me to see how we as humans could be so bloody ignorant and so unaware in many ways of just dropping litter or doing little bits and pieces like that. Do you see a symbolic connection and relationship to the messiness of the human side of what it means to be alive what is your thoughts on the environmental pollution and what humans are thinking and doing even to each other Mm, yeah uh it's another expression of harm or uh violence you know just in the same way that that expression could come in the form of our inner dialogue to ourselves, our, our self-talk or um, physical violence or, or our words being thrown at another person in vengeance. Um, this is just another expression of, the, of you know, ignorance and a, a lack of understanding of the bigger picture um, and living out of instead self-preservation and ego, and, and that's why we see the harm that's being caused. So the practice of ahimsa, non-violence, non-harm in yoga, this is one of the, you know, real ethics, real intentions, um, and it can be expressed in many, many different ways. So 
yeah, it can be quite overwhelming. I, I did some training in a, a beautiful practice of yoga called Why Apple Work that was taught by uh, Jamie uh, Malu in Victoria from, from Gunakurnai country. And he taught us about these 14 elements of uh, nature, like the simple elements, wind, water, the tree, the land animal, the hunter and gatherer that's within us all, with with pairing things back and, and not needing so much in life and coming to rest in contentment and gratitude for the ability of nature to sustain us and keep us alive puts us back into a reciprocal relationship with her. It helps us to become aware of the water that we're pouring out of the tap or, you know, what we're doing with our rubbish, the simple householder, everyday ways that we can make a difference again. And that's where my love for, for you know, getting connected back to nature, it's a solution to the harm that we're seeing is happening in the world. Um, and, you know, all of that stuff that we see that we don't like and that consumes us and makes us sad about the, the pollution or, you know, humans harming other humans and these sorts of things that are just so difficult to understand why humanity operates in this way. It's also good to remember the duality of life and the polar opposites that where there is light, there is dark. This is all tied into uh, the, the nature of life as well. And so having a bigger perspective about it, to not get taken out by the devastation and the harm that we see around us, but to empower us again to know that we can make a difference on this individual level? How can we balance out the light and the dark? How can we ourselves return to balance, harmony, peace and compassion again? It's about getting intentional first and lead from that space. I cannot tell you how much these words just just resonate so much and I'm sure the person listening to this will be feeling that same seeing that life is ebb and flow, high and low, dark and light. It is the the extremes, the dichotomies of life. And rather than getting attached or in, absolutely embodied in either one, realizing that they come and go. And I think that's one of the greatest um, teachings I've ever received was allowing myself to surrender to those moments and to allow the greatest joys, but also know that through the pains in life, we also get to appreciate the joys even more. Mm. And we all can make an individual uh, difference, as you say, to the collective by picking up that piece of rubbish or being mindful about where we put our waste. And I think that's what I love most about the things that you teach is the simplicity. And yet simplicity brings so much richness and depth and quality to life what would be some of your tips around making life more simple, more clear, so therefore we have an availability to tap into the richness that there is too? Mm, yeah, uh, less is more. Where in your life can you do with less? Uh, what this does is it it just puts space around everything again and, and in that space we tend to feel more content with what is already here and then we tend to need less you know I mean this we're talking about the impact on the environment this is so beneficial to need less material things or to um, be content with just taking a walk around your neighborhood instead of that that big long drive and it's not a problem to have the big long drive but just little ways where where could less be more, you know, going back to the discussion of, with me and my, my teenage daughter and her questioning my state of energy, I understood then that less was going to be more in terms of us having a connected and loving relationship. Uh, so this applies to every area. Where could I do with less? And then appreciating what is already here in your cup. Because really, when is enough enough? 
Um, if we can pause and find that space to look at what's already here, the, the richness of life already exists here. Oh, so beautifully put. And sometimes what we think is so minute and small, it's not until we have a major crisis or trauma or shock in our world how much we appreciate the mundane, the simplicity, the ease and the flow of which we had at that slower pace. And I'm sure if nothing I've learned more is to really embrace the monotony, the mundane, the simple, the the general, the the beauty in the moment. And those moments become profoundly beautiful when we're hit with tragedy or shock or things like that. And I think it's a constant reminder to enjoy, like you say, what we have I really want to acknowledge you for that because truly what I'm hearing is that a simplicity, a simplistic way to approach life, a more in the moment way is really loving oneself. And if we can love ourselves through all the good and the bad, the dark and the light, then we seem to traverse and travel through those moments with greater courage and grace and strength and dignity And so I'd love to ask you your thoughts on that, but also your definition of self-love. Yeah, when when we can pare back the doing and rest in that place, that simple, uh, you know, basic place of just being and just being present, uh, I think this is when we can tap into love And so with self-love, you know, yoga teaches us that it's an an inner journey first, like a a thinking of a butterfly folding in its wings and just doing some inner housekeeping of the soul, (laughs) the mind and the body and the to become whole-spirited again and open our wings and to to fly out into the world and connect from that place. So for me, self-love is this experience that instead of it being about a self-preservation space, which I think we can mistake self-love for sometimes, that I need to retreat away and withdraw and just um, do things for myself because I'm always doing things for everyone else. I think sometimes we can get caught up in in that self-preservation aspect of it. But if instead we can think of it or see it more like a return to the love that connects us all, that connecting into the vibration of love, that us doing that first in our body and in our mind and in the way that we operate and then being in service, in selfless service of others, I know for me that I've never felt a greater degree of love within myself when I'm in selfless service of others. But you've got to come from a a clean space first and an intention that is selfless service, not self-preservation. That was the long-winded answer. (laughs) I loved it. I loved every word of it. I think we're all hanging on every word of it. I know we could speak forever and I, I truly do love and admire you so much. I just would love for you to share with us perhaps your final message, but also, you know, let me just recap here that that tapping into nature, the magic of the underneath the ocean, that, that world that we don't see yet we know exists. I almost feel like whilst I see my skin bag, there's a whole world within me that I know exists, but it's scary, it's dark, but it's colorful, it's bright, it's beautiful, and it, it too has its ebb and flow. And I've just really appreciated the the balance or the the insight into both worlds and how much they really do align and come into magical being of both. And so now I've got this feeling of you scuba diving and I always feel like I can see you now and all the people that love the water. There's that other beautiful um, documentary on Netflix um, about the man that watches the beautiful, um, amazing, what was it? My octopus teacher? Yes, that just my octopus teacher was just, wow, that's what really blew me away and how he found himself 
through watching the beauty over one year of this beautiful octopus. Oh, my God, and the way the octopus reached out and touched his hand. I cried. I freaking cried in that film. Um, And if you haven't seen it, it's just, I don't know, there's just something very magical. A man who's lost finds himself in the depths of the ocean through a little creature this amazing octopus. Um, So I just want to say thank you. And also the power of yoga and understanding that, you know, we don't have to be this flexible, full-on person who's been doing yoga all their life. It's about coming into touch with the breath, with self, and allowing oneself to not feel competitive or comparing ourselves. Would that be something as a mum especially of two teenage daughters, that comparisonitis that can occur in the world. Um, just before we come to a close, I'd just love to hear your perspective as a woman and a mom um, on that whole thing. Do you think comparison is the, 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 the undoing of us perhaps? It's part of the reason for sure. And I, I don't know who... Uh, first said this but it's a quote that I use all the time in yoga because it shows up in the yoga rooms as well people looking around at what other people are doing for guidance uh comparison is the the biggest thief of joy and it really is it cuts out a joyous experience when we're looking around at what others are doing instead of tuning in to what we're doing so as um, a mother, a recent experience was uh, beginning to homeschool one of my daughters and it brought up so much for me in terms of all of the shoulds and what will my mum think, what will other people think. What, uh, you know, I know I've had my judgments previously around homeschool. It was such a growth experience to look deep within myself and trust that this was going to be the best move for my own daughter. And I kind of didn't know on the surface if it was or not, but something deeper within me said this, I don't know what's going to unfold next, but this first step of homeschooling is the way to go right now. And so to just dampen the noise and and look within and extract that clarity and that wisdom that is always with you it just gets covered up sometimes doesn't it with the the noise um and to follow that i i believe you can you can't go wrong beautiful erin lee would that be your final quote i always ask my guests what's your favorite quote at the moment is comparison is the biggest thief of joy your final quote or do you happen to have another one up your sleeve Oh, I can add in another one too. (laughs) That is one of my favourites. Another one of my favourites is uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, be the change that you wish to see in the world, like be the demonstration first. You've got to be the change first instead of pointing the finger out. And time and time again that continues to give me a profound experience of the world I see outside of me changing actually when I do it first, when I become an authentic, living, breathing, walking demonstration of of big intentional qualities like presence. Unbelievable. Thank you, my beautiful friend. Thank you so much for sharing you. I do want the listener to really notice and to go to the Mindful Yoga School and make sure you pre-order a copy of the little book of Big Intentions. I honestly can say with hand on heart, what the world needs now truly is more love. And I do believe that that can start with us. And so to have a book like yours, to follow you, to hear you, we can feel way more calm, appreciate that less is more, understand the power of music and sound, and I'll add in smell with that, with things like nature and oils and herbs, add in these beautiful, exquisite gifts from nature, then we really, truly can come home to who we are and be all that's possible and be full of potential rather than comparison or fear or worry and I just want to say thank you for reminding us to be curious when we do feel against the grain or that it's not enough or whatever, and to realize how important it is to understand this too shall pass, come home to oneself, use the breath, sound, music, smell, all of these things to truly come home. 
Erin, you're remarkable. Thank you. Huge congratulations on the book. And thank you so much for sharing yourself here with all of us on the Self Love Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim. Big, big gratitude to you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.